Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, specifically Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. It's good to see you. It's been spring break for many families around the Birmingham metro area. Our family had the privilege to go with 32 of our uh, students and parents to Ecuador. So this last week, we were in Ecuador, got back early yesterday morning, had a wonderful week serving alongside some of our longstanding mission partners there in Ecuador, Stephen Carroll Thompson. We've had hundreds of Dawson members through the last two decades to serve alongside of Stephen Carroll. Really, really proud of our students. We were in a small village in a uh, school that's outside of Ambato. Ambato is about 330,000 people. It's a big um, uh, metropolis type of area. We're in a more rural part. We were working with preschoolers and elementary age students and high school students. Our students here from Dawson were able to do the lessons, share their testimonies, lead in songs, lead in rec and crafts, all the types of things that you think of with the Backyard Bible Club. We were able to partner with local church pastors in that area to build some bridges for the planting of another church there. It was a wonderful week of ministry. Really, really proud of uh, the longstanding partnership our church has had with Stephen Carroll, who have been there in Ecuador for 36 years. So they've been medical teams from Dawson, construction teams from Dawson, Backyard Bible Club type of teams. Our chapel choir was able to be there in Ecuador a few years back. So a wonderful ministry. Those Ecuadorian believers, which is our extended body of Christ, they want me to tell you thank you. They want me to tell you greetings from uh, them there in Ecuador. And thanks for the partnership. And thank you. Thank you through your faithful giving and faithful going and faithful praying that we continue to be a church over 98 years that seeks to be found faithful as God's people, not only locally, not only in our state, not only nationally, but also globally. And so it was a wonderful week. And I hope that God would afford you the opportunity, especially parents in this room, to be able to go with your students on a mission trip. It's a powerful experience. And y'all and I now have had two spring breaks and we've been able to do that as a family. And they're, they're rich memories and, that are being made. And I, I pray that God would afford you that opportunity. And you can think even now with little ones, how God could give you that opportunity in the years to come. Matthew chapter 21 is Palm Sunday material. Matthew chapter 21 shows us the triumphal entry of Jesus. I love Palm Sunday. I love the festivity of Palm Sunday. I love the spectacle of Palm Sunday. I love seeing the kids in all three of our services come with their palm branches, waving them high. I've had 20 years of Palm Sunday church experience now as a pastor. And there are kind of three types of kids that are going to wave their palm branches in three very distinct type of ways. Uh, the, the first child is going to be what I would like to call the cheerleading type. And that's uh, it's pom-poms in hand. And he, he or she is cheering on Auburn, cheering on Sanford, cheering on Alabama, cheering on UAB, and cheering on Jesus and doing that with gusto. Uh, you've got the little bit more tentative child with their palm branches. Palm branches are hands down by the side 
God, they are sort of grinning and bearing it with a grimace on their face, saying to themselves, why did my mom make me do this? That's, so you got, you got that kid, and then you've got the mischievous, the mischievous palm branch waver. Not always, but most often, it's a young boy. And most often, they are just energetically and eagerly waving their palm branches right on the back of the head of the person in front of them the whole time. So all three are represented here at Dawson. They're represented at countless churches around our nation and frankly, around the world. They take palm branches in hand and they celebrate this parade, the opening act of Holy Week, the opening act of what we are celebrating as we come to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. It prepares our hearts, doesn't it? A triumphal entry into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it prepares our hearts as we celebrate his triumphal entry into this world, his uh, death taking and stealing of sin through the cross and the power of the resurrection on Sunday that we'll come to this time next week. You know, it's interesting to me, if we were able to take all of those children and, and quiz them, what, did, what is the meaning of Easter? I dare say that the vast majority will get us to Good Friday and will get us to the cross and die, Jesus dying upon the cross for our sins. I, I would think that, that most of those children, if not all of those children, would get us to the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. But what is interesting to me is how many of them might have a, a puzzled look upon their face if you were to quiz them and to say, now what exactly was going on at Palm Sunday? What was exactly the meaning of Palm Sunday? And I think one of the reasons they might have uh, quizzical looks upon their face is because we are puzzled about the true meaning of Palm Sunday. And we're not only the, uh, and the only ones that are puzzled by that. I, I think if you were to be in that original crowd, you would have had some misapprehensions and misunderstandings of what exactly was going on in what we read in Matthew chapter 21. Let's turn our attention now to the word of the Lord. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. To fully understand the significance of Palm Sunday, you have to understand what those first Palm Sunday parade participants and spectators would have thought. Oh, when Jesus comes in riding on the back of this young donkey, on the back of a colt, they would have immediately thought regime change. 
This is the long-awaited time in which Jerusalem is going to be set free from the shackles of Roman imperialistic might. Rome has ruled over Jerusalem, has ruled over the Israelites for 25 years at this time. They long for the Messiah, the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, prophecies like Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which simply reads, Rejoice greatly! O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So they think to themselves, we've not had a king in over two decades. We've had to have the thumb of Rome on us. Every decision that we make as a nation is made under the shadow of the Roman government, the Roman power, even our high priest that we get to elect is a high priest that we elect under Rome's might, under Rome's direction. So they don't have any type of autonomy. They don't have any type of political independence. And so they're longing for the day. And this is the day that has come. It's actually Passover. Jerusalem is 25 to 35,000 people. When it comes to be Passover, that population swells to 150,000 people from all of what was called the Jewish diaspora. As they're spread out across that Greco-Roman world, they come back to Jerusalem for the Passover. You take Super Bowl weekend. You take a World Series week. You take the 4th of July. You mix all those together, you get Passover for the Jewish people. It was a time where people are, are, are camping out in the woods and the, the foliage around them, Jerusalem, they're in nearby cities. It is, it is Woodstock is what it amounts to. And everybody comes. And so here we have Jesus from a long way off coming down from the Mount of Olives, uh, rocking back and forth on the back of the colt. And you would hear the murmuring of the crowd saying, that's him. I heard he allowed the mute to speak. Well, I heard he cleansed the lepers. Well, I heard he gave sight to the blind. He's the one. He is the one. This is a red carpet rollout for Jesus. Palm branches in hand to lay down on the ground. They take their coats off to lay them on the ground to be able to say, here is our king. Here is the one who is finally going to overthrow the military might of Rome. Praise God, the day has come. Hosanna in the highest. But they misunderstood. They misunderstood just what kind of parade this was. You see it in the humility of King Jesus, don't you? Oh, it's easy to miss this detail of the story. It's easy to get too familiar that he comes riding on the back of a young colt, a young donkey. We're so familiar with it in our minds here, we lose the significance of it. They were familiar with military parades. They were familiar with the whole town coming out for what would have been a, uh, the equivalent of a ticker tape parade for a Super Bowl champion or a World Series champion. They were familiar with that, but it was always a mighty military general that would come back into town after they have, they've uh, victor, you know, had a tremendous victory afar. And they would bring back the spoils of war behind them, chained one after the other. And behind this great general riding on this great mighty stallion, there would be all of the prisoners of war, which all the participants on each side would be able to gawk at, to throw things at. 
And a mighty military general would come not on the back of a donkey, but a mighty stallion. And here Jesus comes on the back of a young colt. Of course, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, but it also shows us that this is a king like no other king. He comes on the back of a young colt. A, a young colt is fitting for not a military giant, not this great military general. I mean, it's more fitting, right, for Frodo Baggins or Bilbo Baggins, but not for a great king. But Jesus comes in to show that he's, he's not like the kings of the Roman Empire. He is not like the kings that have come before him. He is a king that is going to use adjectives that no other king will be described as. You don't describe a mighty king as a gentle king. You don't describe a, a mighty king as a humble king. But when Jesus comes on the back of this young colt, he is showing that his type of reign is going to be a reign that is like no other, that his type of kingship is going to be a kingship like none other, that he is coming to bring a reign that is going to be distinctive in its rule. He's a humble king, a gentle king. And you know, Christian, when he reigns in your heart, one of the byproducts is he humbles you. That one of, the, one of the ways that he shapes you in his reign and his rule is to bring about humility in your life and my life. And he has a bullseye on pride in your heart. He has a bullseye upon arrogance in your heart. And he reigns and he rules in such a way that he will strip us of all of the things that we hold on to that are the pride of life and the arrogance of our heart, and he will bring us to our knees under his rule and under his reign. He will do it oftentimes, what could often be seen as the disappointments of life. We ask sometimes, where is God in the midst of difficulty? Where is God in the midst of disappointment? But uh, I would dare tell you that oftentimes the disappointment and the difficulty is God's plan A, to humble you and to shape you. I was called to the ministry when I was 16 years old. It was very vivid in my life. I was running back from two-a-days. I would run to the football practice. I'd run home. I was running back, and a very vivid impression was laid upon my heart that I can't really even describe that God was calling me to the ministry. Almost simultaneous to that, I begin to get opportunities to share my testimony and to preach through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I had to preach at my home church on a Sunday night service. And I received a lot of very positive feedback as a 16-year-old. A lot of people would come up, pat me on the head. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. And, and in me began to be the swelling of an ego that I was really good at this. And, and I was the best at this. And God had called me to this. And at the same time, there was, you know, Bible drills. We have Bible drills here at Dawson. There was an offshoot of Bible drills called the Youth Speakers Tournament. And here it was, the first top three placers in the state of Mississippi would receive half tuition, number three, 75% uh, of your tuition covered, number two, and full tuition ride to any of the state Baptist colleges. And there's three to choose from, Blue Mountain, William Carey, Mississippi College. I knew I was going to Mississippi College. This was the way I figured I was going to pay for college. So we had regionals. I won regionals. Yay! I got to the 
uh, you know, south half of the state, won that, yay, get to the final four of the whole state. It was me and three young ladies. They give their speech. I give my speech. We stand up before a crowd like this, and they say, number three, the third place winner, and she steps out. Number two, the second place winner, 75% to any college in the state of Mississippi is a Baptist college. She steps out. Here it is, me and another young lady. First place, Rebecca, she steps out. I didn't even win a Chick-fil-A gift card. <laughs> I mean, there were no consolation prizes. The consolation prizes I got were certificates from all of the church, all the youth group that was there going, yay, David, cheer on. They, they, they were writing things like this. Number four in the tournament, but number one in our hearts. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> I mean, it was one of these things that was so embarrassing in the moment. I dare say it was kind of humiliating for me as a senior in high school. But boy, looking back upon it, it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened. I, I, I wasn't as good as them. But more than that, God was going to use that to crucify, and, and he continues to have a target at the pride that's at the center of me. And oftentimes he will use these experiences that, that, that are revealing and it places you out there and he does it to humble us, to depend upon him. I look back upon it and see, David, this is going to be one of the ways that you look more like me. Notice not only the humility of Jesus, but notice the victory of King Jesus. One of the ways that God has a victory in our lives is oftentimes through disappointment. It's oftentimes through difficulty. And I think to myself that some of you, the way that he provides victory in your life is when you don't receive what you think you desire to receive, when you don't get the promotion that you've worked so hard for, when you don't get that new job that you've worked so hard for and you feel that you deserve in that moment here, when you don't get into the graduate program that you think is waiting for you, that would be a perfect program for you, or you have a relationship and that relationship is three years or four years and you're sure, you're sure that it's headed to the altar, you're sure that it's headed to wedding bells and it, and it crashes. And it's oftentimes not in the moment that we realize what God is doing. It's oftentimes uh, years down the road or maybe even decades down the road when that relationship was broken and you stand 50 years down the road and you look to the person to your left or right and realize how much better God's plan was for you than what you thought in that moment. Or when you look back upon the, the door that God opened for you for that graduate program and realize just how gracious God was to protect you by closing the door. And when you didn't receive that job promotion or that job that you wanted and you were sure it was the perfect thing economically for you, it was the perfect thing for the aspirations of your heart and you're able to look back years down the road or decades down the road and say, thank you God for closing the door. This is oftentimes how he gets the victory in our lives. This is oftentimes the way that he works here. 2,000 years ago is the way that he is working in a way that is counterintuitive to all of us. When Jesus comes down the road riding on the back of this young donkey, 
they, they take up the, the words of the Psalm in Psalm 118, verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now what they're saying in this moment is not what we would think that they were saying. We, we hear this as them saying, we can't wait for you to be Jesus on the cross, they don't think of it that way. They think we can't wait for you to be this great military giant. We want you to purge from our land, the Roman overlords here and to resurrect the glory of the Davidic kingdom here. And Jesus is not going to bring about a military reign in the way that they're thinking. Right now, they are thinking they're watching a military parade, but actually that's not what they see. Years ago, Danielle and I were living in New Orleans and we happened in the French Quarter one afternoon. And when we were there, it was this big parade and everyone dressed in their Sunday best. And at the front of the parade with umbrella in hand was the bride and the groom dancing their way with their wedding party from the church to the reception, to the celebration. A few weeks later, we were in the French Quarter again, and again, there's the band, and again, everyone's dressed in their Sunday best. Again, there's a festivity to the parade, and I'm, I'm looking for the umbrellas and the, and the uh, dancing groom and the dancing bride, and I can't see them. I look closer, and I look closer. I stand up to try to see, and I don't see that, but what I saw was a casket. You see, I thought it was a wedding parade, but it was actually a funeral march. Those first Passover parade participants, those first spectators, they think they're seeing a military parade. They, the, but what they're actually seeing is a, is a funeral march. They, they want to put a crown on Jesus, but they don't understand that the only crown that Jesus is going to wear is the crown of thorns that he's going to receive on that Good Friday. They want him to brandish a sword and to take over Rome and to cast them out. But the only sword that is going to be brandished is one in the soldier's hand that is going to pierce his side. They want him to be a king, but the way he's going to be a king is not as a military general and military giant, but he's going to be a king as a suffering servant who will lay down his life. So they don't have it in their mind. They don't even have a category to be able to understand that God is going to allow in their minds the unthinkable, the death of the Messiah to bring about the unimaginable, and that is the forgiveness of all through his death and through his resurrection. They don't have the category to be able to understand that Jesus is fulfilling his calling by entering into the pain and embracing every ounce of the weight of our sin. And it is through his death and ultimately his resurrection that he will defeat it. The original pilgrims that are spectators for this parade, they see one thing, not understanding what God is actually up to. There is going to be a victory, but it is going to be a victory through defeat. It is going to be a victory through death. And oftentimes we stand in the same place as those parade spectators seeing what is around us and saying this must be the way God is going to work and we miss and we can't see the mystery of his ways and the mystery of his will. We oftentimes misinterpret our circumstances. We oftentimes misinterpret what God is up to in his mysterious providential leadings in your life and in my life. 
It was interesting. I was with that missionary couple. It's my fourth time to be to Ecuador to serve alongside of Stephen Carroll Thompson. But these people, and I, I say this not as an exaggeration, we are going to read books about. These, these are the types of missionaries that you read about. These are the types of missionaries that GAs and RAs study about. These are the types of missionaries that truly live out to be found faithful as God's people. 36 years of amazing stories of God's faithfulness. And if, if I could, we, we would have a line item to get every person in our church to spend a week with Stephen Carroll Thompson. To just hear stories of how what seemed to be closed doors actually was the open door that God was using to bring about his victory in their life and in their ministry. One story after another story. Let me tell you one of those stories. 1996, Steve had been on the field for a few years at this time. It was the first time that they were going to make inroads into church planning with the Waldani people. The Waldanis uh, were misappropriated as the Warwanis, who were the indigenous people in Ecuador that in 1956 murdered five American missionaries, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint being the two most famous. Steve is on a large canoe, a ship, and he's got two indigenous Ecuadorian pastors that are accompanying him down the river to be able to uh, make their way to uh, a place that they have built some relationships with to plant a church with the Waldani people. So the first day they're loading everything up on this large canoe, the ship that they have that's going to take them down the Amazon. And the boat captain comes to him and says, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to take you down the river, but I have my replacement. My replacement is my brother. One of the pastors from Ecuador comes up to Brother Steve and says, we can't go down the river with him because he is the most renowned and notorious witch doctor in this region. And so people are going to see us and they're going to overly associate what we're doing with what he does. Well, they had no other option. So off they go down the river with this witch doctor. This witch doctor takes them through this whirlpool. This sounds like an 18th century Swiss Family Robinson kind of story, doesn't it? This witch doctor takes them through a whirlpool. It slams them into the side of the river, the shore, he breaks, the captain does, breaks his arm, and they're stranded because the boat crashes there. So they get out. One of the local pastors accompanies this witch doctor back to find medical help. Brother Steve and this other pastor set up camp in the middle of the dense, forested jungle area of the Amazon. And so as they're there on the side, they set up and those hours turn into days and they are waiting for them to come back to help them get back down the river. And so they begin to sing and they begin to do things. And after a couple of days, there are some children that come into their camp. And all of a sudden, the local pastor begins to talk with them and says, where do you live? And they say, right behind you. And they look behind them and there's nothing but this dense vegetation and forestation. What, you live right there? Well, of course. And they take them through these nooks and crannies into the jungle and then out emerges 
this village where the Waldonis uh, live. And so they get all of their stuff and they put it under the shelter of one of the houses that had been built there. And they pull out their uh, videos of the Jesus film and they get permission to be able to share those. And they begin to uh, evangelize in this village. And the first church that they were able to plant was in this village that they only knew of because a witch doctor had taken them through a whirlpool and they crashed on the side of the shore of the river. I don't know if you know much about church planning and missionary work, but this is not exactly how you draw it up. (laughs) But the shipwreck was plan A for God to put them exactly where they needed to be. And oftentimes in your life and in my life, we interpret the metaphorical shipwrecks the difficulties, the disappointments, the diagnoses, the challenges, we interpret those things as God being asleep. God not caring. God not being present. But what if in the difficulties and the disappointments and the shipwrecks You're not in plan B or plan Z. You're in plan A of God's will and way for your life. I just remind you, plan A for your salvation was the infinite son of God dying on a Friday so he could be resurrected on Sunday. God is in the business of redeeming even the ultimate injustice Do you not think that God can not redeem your broken marriage? Do you not think that God cannot redeem you being laid off? Do you think you're beyond God's scope when you've lost that job and you've gone through the difficulty? Maybe this is God bringing you to that next chapter of your life. Maybe this is God bringing you to the very place that he desires to lead you, even in the midst of the sin, even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the tragedy. He does tell us in his word that he works all things together for those that love him or are called according to his purpose. All things are not enjoyable in our life. All things are not pleasant in our life. All things are not desirable in our life. All things I wish was just the mountaintops of our life, but all things means that sometimes he leads us through the valley to show us that he is our great shepherd and his rod and his staff, they truly do comfort us. And they truly do lead us to his good plan and his good way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is working in your life even when you do not feel it? Do you believe that he is working in your life even when you don't see it? Do you believe that he is working in your life as a way maker even when you can't discern it? Do you believe that he's always working? I have a setting on my phone where I've allowed my iPhone to work in the background. So it refreshes the apps to the most updated developer's vision of how it should best work. And so when I'm asleep, it's working. When it's in the back of my blue jean pocket, it's still working. When I set it aside, it's still working. 
Even when I don't see it, it's working. Even when I don't feel it, it's working. And if a man-made, technological feat like an iPhone can be that true in your life and in my life, how much more true is the infinite work of our loving God? Even when you don't feel it, my friend, he's working. And even when you don't see it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. Let us pray. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.